Well, good evening. It's good to be with you guys tonight. Um, when I was a child, uh, I don't know if this is okay to say, um, when I was a child, I hated going to church. It prevented me from sleeping in on Sundays. Uh, when I was a child, I hated reading my Bible because I didn't understand it. There were too many these and thous in my King James Version. Uh, when I was a kid, most of all, I hated prayer because it exposed my wicked heart. But over time, a carpenter from Nazareth fashioned my heart into a throne. When I was a child in Sunday school, uh, my Sunday school teacher called on me to pray at the end of our time together. And I kind of lifted up a quick cop-out prayer of, God, thank you for everything and everyone. Amen. Now, you may say, oh, that's adorable. It was not adorable. I thought I was being clever. Uh, but if I could translate for you, what did my eight-year-old mind mean by that prayer? It would have said, God, I acknowledge that you are my creator and my sustainer, but keep your distance. Thanks. At eight years old, a wicked heart is exposed in a cop-out prayer. Yet, that carpenter from Nazareth, Jesus, fashioned the heart into a throne to where now, I don't just love going to church, I love being a member of the body of Christ, where I get to engage with other believers and what it means to pursue Jesus Christ. I don't just love reading my Bible. I love studying God's word because in it, God has revealed himself to me. And most of all, I love prayer. I love prayer because I get to commune with the living God and align my heart to his. So that brings us to Matthew chapter 6, where we continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus, the king philosopher, teaches his disciples on how to pray. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6 tonight. Uh, Luke's gospel informs us a little bit on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, he also records the Lord's Prayer, but he records that out of all the miracles that the, that the disciples saw Jesus do, the one thing that they asked him to teach them how to do was to pray. So we look at the Lord's Prayer tonight to see what we, the disciples of Jesus, might learn about how the king philosopher would have us to pray. So let's look together at Matthew chapter 6, looking at verses 5 through 15 tonight. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Father in heaven, we ask you that you would bless us and teach us how we can improve our prayer lives. That you would help us to focus on how our prayers need to be adjusted in ways that will benefit us most and glorify you most. God, would you teach our hearts tonight on the topic of prayer? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Prayer is hard. I want to make that pretty clear. Uh, Just like anything with great value, it takes effort, takes intentionality, uh, time, and and spirit-filled discipline. Um, Prayer, it forces us to articulate What is it that we believe about who God is and how he interacts with his creation, namely Christians? In other words, as we pray, so we believe. But what beliefs are being articulated from this passage, the Lord's Prayer from the Sermon on the Mount? Well, the first thing we have to see right out of the gate is that we are commanded to pray. We are commanded to pray. He says, and when you pray. He says it three times. Verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7. And when you pray. Not if you pray, but when you pray. And then he instructs his disciples on how not to pray. Do not be like the hypocrites who pray to be seen in public. Do not be like the Gentiles who pray empty phrases in many words. In other words, do not pray to try and impress people. And hey, don't pray to try and impress God. No. Instead, pray to your Father who is in secret. Jesus commands us to pray, which means our 
failure to pray is disobedience to Christ. In other words, we sin when we do not pray. We sin when we do not pray. And if I'm just being honest with you, I'm, I'm feeling this. I, personally, I'm convicted by this truth. That we sin when we fail to pray. But be comforted in this. Uh, the, the Lord does not expect us to pray long, drawn-out, complex, perfect prayers. It's not what He desires from you. No, He, rather, he, de- he desires meaningful prayers from humble hearts that trust Him. God knows what you need before you ask Him. So we do not approach the throne of grace to bargain. We do not approach the throne of grace to beg. We approach the throne of grace to bless and be blessed. That's what we're talking about. Communion with God. You've heard one of the simplest definitions of what prayer is. It's talking to God. And so I want to help you. I want to help you in your effort to pray like Jesus tonight. And so I want to give you five concentrations to recalibrate your prayer life. Five concentrations to recalibrate your prayer life. All right, what do I mean by that? When I was in high school, I went through a guitar hero phase. I think we have documentation of that. Can we see that, Zach? That's me in high school, as you can see from the class ring, playing guitar hero. I share that with you to help you understand. When you set up guitar hero, you have to you have to sync it up. You have to sync up the notes with the TV, like right out of the gate. As soon as you hook the game up, you've got to sync it up to be able to hit the notes at the right time. If you don't do that, the game is impossible to play. So what, that's what I mean when I say recalibrate. What, I, what I'm about to give you is not a checklist. So don't treat it like one. Uh, you will pray prayers that don't hit all the notes or hit some notes more than others. Uh, these five concentrations are what I think we see in the Lord's Prayer to help us recalibrate our prayer life. All right, Zach, I think you can take the picture down now. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. So the first concentration to help you recalibrate your prayer life. Pray God-centered prayers. Pray God-centered prayers. Notice that Jesus doesn't start by making requests. We can often find in our prayer life to be like the child who waits for his daddy to come home, only to ask him, hey, can I go over so-and-so's house? Or can I have that snack out of the pantry? Without welcoming the father home or embracing his father and the loving relationship that he has. It's more of centered around a selfish request. That's not how Jesus starts this prayer, is it? He starts by recognizing God. 
our Father in heaven. Our Father. God is not some anonymous deity or impersonal force. There is a sense in which God is fatherly towards all creation, yes. But there is only one way in which we can know God as our personal heavenly Father. It is through faith in Jesus Christ, His Son. It is through faith in Christ that we are adopted into God's family. I'm about to reference some verses of Scripture. Got to give a disclaimer to our ladies. You're about to be referred to as sons. I would apologize, but guys, if we can handle being called the bride of Christ, I think ladies will be okay being called sons for a few verses. The first is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says, In love. Please don't miss that. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And then in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, Romans 8, 14 through 17 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Crying out, Abba, Father. A term that is like our version of daddy. An intimate term we have for our father. Abba, Father. One theologian has this to say on the topic. Uh, Al Mohler says, Only by virtue of Jesus' work on the cross can we truly say, Our Father in heaven. Only by God's grace and mercy through the atoning work of Christ do we now have the right to stand before God, the God of all creation, and speak the words, Our Heavenly Father. The God who invites us to become a part of his family invites us to come and speak to him in prayer as he listens from heaven. Heaven. God's heavenly presence shows us he is distinct from his creation. He is high and holy. Yet he made himself known to us. We're a people who care about privacy. I know some more than others, right? Some people live very loudly on social media. But we care about our privacy. Um, I remember a few years ago, I was hanging out with my family, and uh, my sister and I got to discussing uh, my niece uh, and her personal hashtag on Instagram, right? Press the mess. And we had, we had noticed that uh, a cat had, had invaded the hashtag. There was another, uh, there was a cat named Presley, that had invaded my niece's hashtag. And so we were talking about this out loud, and my niece, who's five years old at the time, she says, hey, I don't like that. Now we thought 
she was a part of the conversation. She's like, I don't like cats, you know, invading my, my Instagram. That's not what she meant. She didn't like that we were posting pictures of her without her permission. Five years old, and she cares deeply about her privacy. I say that to say this. How incredible is it then that our Father in heaven has made himself known to us? That we are made in the image of God. If we care about our privacy, how much more do we care about? Does God care about his? And yet one theologian says, God forfeited his own personal privacy that his creatures might know him. God forfeited his own personal privacy. Think about what we're about to celebrate next month, right? Christmas, how God took on flesh and came in the form, the humble form of a baby. And think about it. What Christ looked like on the cross. That baby didn't stay a baby. He became a man who died on the cross, totally exposed, forfeited his personal privacy to make himself known to you and to me. So we are now able to pray God-informed prayers. Yes, we pray God-centered prayers. We also pray God-informed prayers. We pray to God on His terms as He has revealed His character to us. Hallowed be your name. A little girl uh, once told her mother, I know the name of God. Her mother, very curious, oh, what is it? The little girl said, Howard. Mother said, where'd she get that? How, how, where'd, you, where'd you find that? Well, it's, you know, the verses from Scripture. Our Father in heaven, Howard be your name. It's adorable, right? We get tripped up by this word, hallowed, because we don't really mean, know what Jesus means by it. Very simply, to hallow means to make holy. To hallow means to make holy. Jesus appeals to the Father, asking that he act in such a way that he would visibly demonstrate his holiness and glory. If I could paraphrase it, I would do it this way. God, would you move in the world that people would value your glory, that they would esteem your holiness, and that they would treasure your character? Is that not what we need in the world today? But why is his name the thing to be hallowed? Well, his name is a mark of his reputation. It is a personal extension of God himself. Uh, you can resonate with this, I'm sure, if you've ever gone to Starbucks and you've given them the, your order and they ask for a name to go with that. And they do everything they can to butcher your name. Cross. K-R-A-U-S-S. -S. Is that right? Nailed it. Why are we so insulted? It's because our name is an extension of our person. If that's true for us, how much more is that true for God? 
that his name is an extension of his person, of his character. And God does not act for the sake of material. God does not act for the sake of man or any made thing, but for the sake of his holy name. He acts for the sake of his holy name. He alone hallows his name. And he does that in two ways that I know of. He hallows his name in two ways that I know of. The first is dealing with Christians. God hallows his name by sanctifying his church. God hallows his name by sanctifying his church, by making his church more holy. Faithfulness in the Christian's life makes the glory of God go public. Christians, when you are faithful, when I am faithful, the glory of God goes public. That's one way that God hallows his name. Another way, God hallows his name by saving lost sinners, by saving rebels. When any sinner comes to faith in Jesus Christ and his sins are forgiven, God's holy name is put on display for all the world to see, the physical realm and the spiritual realm. God hallows his name by saving lost sinners. God is hallowed in the advancement of his kingdom. And so we pray kingdom-minded prayers. Pray kingdom-minded prayers. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That word kingdom, we've seen that quite a bit lately in looking at the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's filled with a perspective of God's kingdom, right? If Jesus is the king philosopher, he's teaching us on how to live in the kingdom. God reveals his character and his reputation as his kingdom spreads throughout the earth through all his citizens. But what is the kingdom? Well, we know the kingdom arrived at the initial coming of Christ, right? He says, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. So there we see Jesus inaugurating the kingdom. But he, it hasn't consummated yet. We're, we're waiting for that. That's, that's what we've been looking at throughout the study in Revelation in the worship center on Sundays. Right? Looking at the second coming of Christ, where he will consummate, he will complete his kingdom, and he will reign on earth as he currently does in heaven. In the meantime... We have been delivered from the domain of darkness into God's kingdom. It's not necessarily a geographical thing. It's a spiritual thing. We're delivered from the domain of darkness into God's kingdom. We live under the reign of the king philosopher as his citizen students, his disciples. And as his disciples, we live out the great commission. Right? That's why we fill out the discipleship cards, so that we can see how are we doing in Jesus' command 
to make disciples. And that we also pray for the advancement of His kingdom for the sake of the future citizens that He has for His namesake. That's why we went to New Horizons Apartments on October 24th. That's why we we partner with Red Door Urban Mission. Our goal is to share the love of Jesus Christ with a community of people. And the Spirit of the Lord was pleased to move in the hearts of those who we talked to. That we saw four children come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. That on October 24th, the kingdom of God was advanced. And we acquired four new brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That's what we wanted to see. That's what we prayed for. And then we find this word will, which is almost just as trippy as hallowed. What does he mean by will? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Here, Jesus is referring to his revealed will. It's what God expects from his creation. What does God expect from humanity? That's his revealed will. Not to be confused with his will of decree. What he will allow to come to pass. That is mysterious to us. But what is not mysterious to us is his revealed will. What he has given us in scripture of how to live. What his expectations are for you and for me. And so... We pray that his will would be done. Uh, Jesus is is asking the Father to reform their hearts in such a way that God is obeyed and glorified by man the way he is obeyed and glorified by angels. J.I. Packer says, Here more clearly than anywhere, the purpose of prayer becomes plain. What is the purpose of prayer? Not to make God do my will, but to bring my will into line with his. Oh man, I got to repeat that. Not to make God do my will, but to bring my will into line with his. And now we see why our prayer lives need to be recalibrated. Because so often we pray for God to do our will. We try to bend it, sometimes even break it, to make it fit, and it's not supposed to. For God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done, all other kingdoms and wills must and have to be surrendered. Surrendered. This is why I hated prayer at eight years old. I didn't want to surrender my will. I wanted to amount my kingdom of video games, toys, movies. My will was to cheat at school, disobey my parents, make fun of others to make myself feel better. By praying your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus teaches us that we are ultimately meant to value God's agenda, not our own. I could say some things about the last 24 hours. About how we may have felt. The anxiety that bubbled up inside of us as we're watching 
results come in. Maybe because we have an agenda that hasn't been surrendered. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's about God's agenda, not our own. We pray to see history come to a close. Whole people groups rejoice that the king philosopher would be honored, that Satan, our enemy, would be bound, that God's mercy would be demonstrated and his wrath poured out, that we would see knees bow and tongues confess that Jesus is Lord. And with the words, give us this day our daily bread, Jesus moves from the majesty of who God is to the reality of what we need. So we pray for our physical needs. We pray for our physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. We see that the Father not only cares about great things like the advancement of His kingdom, cares about the small things, about feeding his children. Our hunger is a constant reminder that we are dependent on one who is good to provide for us. I think that's why he teaches on fasting right after this passage. Daily. That word daily teaches us to train our hearts to depend consistently on God rather than just in times of need. So often, we treat God like a safety net. That's not what He's there for. He's there for you at every moment of every day, the highs and the lows, to talk with you, to engage with you, that you would commune with Him. We see this illustrated perfectly in the Old Testament, as God provides for His people manna, uh, what they called, what is it? They didn't know what it was. It was was flakes of bread that come down and lay on the ground. They can scoop it up and and take as much as they think they need and and take of it and eat. And you'll remember, God delivered these people from Egypt through the parting of the Red Sea. And He didn't leave them in the desert to die. He walked them through the wilderness, providing for them every step of the way. God's provision was perfect for the people who gathered the manna and that each of them gathered as much as they could eat. God did this for a people that were characterized by sin and grumbling. And we're not much better. The reality is we have as much of God and from God as we ask for. Which is why he says later, you have not because you ask not. Even though he might not provide in the way we want, we can be confident that God will provide for us. Because we're his children. Not only does he provide for our physical needs, but for our spiritual needs as well. And so we pray for our spiritual needs. Pray for your spiritual needs. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Debt. 
our spiritual reality is this. We all have a sin debt that none of us could pay. God is righteous and holy. Thus, he must demand the full penalty of our sin. And from Scripture, we know all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And for the wages of sin is death. The price we pay is death. Yet the same God who demands the penalty has paid it by way of his Son, the king philosopher. We are sinners in need of forgiveness. We have hope of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And God is willing to forgive sin, not wishing for any to perish. So for some of you that have never asked the Lord to forgive you of your sins, that needs to be done. You want to become a child of God. To be able to call on Him to be your Father. And it starts with confession. As Jesus says, in, or John says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christians cling to that promise. If you haven't clung to that promise, it's time. It's time to confess. To seek that forgiveness. And if you are a Christian, you've already done that. It's time to forgive. We are forgiven to forgive others. This is the norm in God's kingdom. This is what we've seen over the course of the last six or seven weeks. As we look at how do we deal with anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, love of enemies. Forgiveness may not be easy. I'm not saying it is. But it is the air that we breathe in God's kingdom. Forgiveness is not our only spiritual need, though, as we also need help fighting temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Temptation. Jesus' reminder to pray against temptation reminds us of how prevalent and dangerous the appeal of sin can be to the Christian life. Temptation, like our sin debt, is another spiritual reality in our lives that threatens our communion with God and our walk with Christ. If we have any chance at fighting temptation, it must come through the power of God supplied to you through prayer. We need the strength of another. We don't have it in ourselves. Jesus teaches us to ask for shepherding and deliverance. Deliver us. It's a cry of desperation. Rescue us. It's a cry from powerlessness. We must pray to our deliverer for endurance in the fight against temptation. Our natural inclination is to flee God and run to sin. 
We sang last week, Come Thou Fount. It's one of my favorite hymns. And the last lines get me every time. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That is the automatic position of your heart and mind. And we've got to fight it. And the only way to fight it is through prayer. Prayer to God. We must pray. We need the power that comes only from God in prayer. So if I could sum up all these concentrations to help us recalibrate our prayer life. Here's our main point for the night. It's to pray God-centered prayers with His kingdom in mind as you take real requests to Him. Pray God-centered prayers with His kingdom in mind as you take real requests to Him. I hope tonight you've been encouraged to pray. Pray new prayers centered around God, informed by who He is, spoken with His kingdom in mind, asking Him to supply your every physical and spiritual need. Prayer is vital to cultivating joy in your communion with God. It is in the beauty of ordinary private prayers that no one's going to hear except for God. That God delights to interact with His people and reward them, as we see in the context of this passage. I pray, I pray that you will meet with Him in those moments. I know He will meet with you. When you're tempted, when you're hungry, when you're pleading for forgiveness or asking God to move in a friend's heart, when you're crying over your Bible as you reckon with what your sin did to Jesus, God's going to meet with you. When you come here and you enjoy the friendships that you experience in our ministry and yet you're socially distanced, God is with you. He's going to meet you. Wherever you are in between, I pray that you meet with God in these moments. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.